Uh, if you are a guest with us this morning, welcome. My name is Blake Hilgenfeld, one of the pastors here. And uh, we are very grateful and thankful that you're here this morning. If you are a guest, uh, we have been going through a series on the book of Romans. And so we have been in the book of Romans for several months now. Uh, it'll carry us through uh, this summer and hopefully we'll be finished with the book of Romans at the end of the summer and start something uh, new in, in August. And so, uh, but this morning we find ourselves in chapter 10 and we're going to be in verses 8 through 15 this morning. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Uh, there's one on your seat, the seat next to you. The verses will eventually be on the screen, but I do encourage you to um, open up a Bible and turn with me there. If you need help finding the book of Romans, if you're not familiar with the Bible, just uh, ask a friend who brought you or turn to the table of contents and tell you how to get there. All right, Romans chapter 10. Let's start reading in verse 8. God's word says this to us this morning, but what does it say? The word is near you in your, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified, and with a mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege it is to be in this place this morning and to have access to your word, to have access to the news that is found in your word that there is a great salvation that you offer all who come and believe and confess and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, this news is the only news that which can save. And so, Father, may we not take it for granted this morning that we actually can hear your news this morning. We can hear this good news for there are, there are millions of people in the world today who have little to no access to this news, to this message of salvation in Christ Jesus alone. So, Father, may we not take the preaching of your word lightly this morning. May I not take it lightly. May we not take it lightly. But, Father, that we would humbly submit ourselves to your word, to the authority of your word, that as we hear your word preached this morning, as we read your word, that we see that which you're calling us to, that we would humble ourselves and that we would follow you and give our lives for this purpose of declaring the greatness of your name to all peoples of the earth. So, Father, here we are, and we ask that your spirit would move among us in a great and mighty way this morning. For we are desperate for your spirit to move and give us eyes to see and convict our hearts of sin and righteousness and of judgment and help us to see the beauty and the greatness of who Jesus is and what you're calling us to as your followers this morning. So we give our lives to you. We give this time to you. And we ask that you would do whatever that you please this morning among us. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 
So I, a couple weeks ago, I, I confessed this, uh, this kind of news to you guys that I, I, uh, I get my news from Yahoo, all right? And so when I, uh, when I told you guys uh, this news, I, I, I received a lot of persecution from, from you guys as a result. I mean, evidently, um, you know, like I, I, I've, I've not kept up with the times because uh, getting your news from Yahoo is like using AOL for your email account, right? I should have known because the only people that use Yahoo and AOL is my grandmother. And that's a true story. Uh, she does use AOL today. But anyways... I'm thankful to say that I've kind of branched out to other news sources, and I'm using MySpace now as my, as my, is that any better? No? That's that's probably worse, right? It shows you, I don't even know what MySpace really is. It's not really a news source, is it? Is that, does MySpace even exist today? It does? Okay, cool. Anyways. So I, I, for those of you who kind of gave me a hard time, I'm, I'm, I'm using new news sources now. But even as I look at these, uh, these new news sources, why is it that as we look at all the news sources out there today, why is it that we do not hear this news which is found in Romans 1.18 which says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth about God. Why do we not hear this news? For some reason, this news is not trending on any of the major news networks today. But it is trending all throughout the Bible. I mean, this news that we just heard right now, this morning, in the book of Romans, tells us that the greatest problem within the human race, within humanity, is the wrath of God. Now, I know we don't like to talk about the wrath of God, do we? Evidently, obviously, you won't hear it among the news. You won't even hear it among, uh, within some churches. For some reason, we have kind of pushed this to the, to the outside, to the, to the outskirts, because we, we're kind of afraid to talk about this problem, this reality, this news that is proclaimed, that is told to us in Romans 1.18, that the wrath of God is revealed. Now, why is this the greatest problem for humanity? The greatest, why this is the greatest problem is because, as the news just tells us, we are all actually unrighteous and ungodly. And because we are unrighteous and we're ungodly, the greatest problem or the greatest need is somehow, some way for us, humanity, to escape or come out from underneath the wrath of God that will one day come against everyone who was unrighteous and ungodly. And so this is a huge problem for all of us. Because once again, the bad news is, Every single one of us are unrighteous and we are ungodly. What we have done is we've exchanged something. We've exchanged something that is of great value for something of less value. We've exchanged the glory of who God is. We've exchanged the the most valuable thing in the universe, which is namely God, and we've exchanged it for something of lesser value, namely ourselves. 
So we've placed ourselves in the center of the story, valuing ourselves more than we value the immortal God who created us for the purpose of knowing him and enjoying him and worshiping him and putting himself in the center of our story. In other words, we have now lived by our own rules and we've lived to make a name for ourselves rather than him. And so this can also be described as worship. We have worshipped ourselves instead of the God who created us to worship him. And this makes us all unrighteous. This is, this is the definition of unrighteousness. We have valued the wrong thing more than anything else. We value ourselves. And the world will not talk about this as well. The, our, our culture will not tell us this news that there actually is a day coming called the eternal judgment. And on this day, God's righteous anger and wrath will be poured out against every unrighteous act that we have done, all of our self-worship and all of our self-love. For who can blame God, right? I mean, if here you have God who created us as, as human beings, we are his creation. You have the creator, we have the cre- and we are the creation, and we have basically reversed the roles, and we've put ourselves in the center of the story, and we pushed them on the outside. We say, we don't need you, we don't want you, we don't desire you, we can do this thing on our own. I mean, who can blame God for being very upset with his creation? So listen, if this news is true, and God's news source, the Bible, is saying that it is true, then the question is, is there a way? Is there a way for unrighteous people, ungodly people like you and me to actually escape the wrath of God? Is there a way for us to actually be made right with God? And we looked at this last week. We looked at there are two ways that people try to be made right with God, one way that works and one that doesn't. And we looked at how the one way that doesn't work is that we ourselves try to store up enough good works in our own righteousness bank account. This is, this is what the people of Israel, many of the people of Israel uh, were doing, and this is what uh, all major religions today teach. The belief is, is that if I can store enough good works into my account, then maybe, just maybe, I'll have enough good works in my account to make it into heaven. So in other words, if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then God hopefully is going to accept me and his wrath towards my unrighteousness, towards my bad deeds, will be satisfied. But as we looked at last week, this way will leave us spiritually bankrupt and it will still leave us underneath the wrath of God because what we we need is, is a perfect righteousness. What we need is, is the only thing that God will will accept is a life that is lived perfectly, 100%, pure and blameless, where God is treasured and loved above all things. You see the problem? The problem is this does not describe any of our lives. And so every single one of us, we're in this place that we need to be justified. And even though at times we try to justify ourselves by what? By comparing ourselves to other people? To make ourselves look better? To make ourselves look good? But in the end, even this won't justify us. Why? Because it's not ourselves or other people that we should be comparing ourselves to. It's God. 
And when we compare ourselves to God, when we compare ourselves to the goodness and the purity and the righteousness and the holiness of our God, who can measure up? I mean, who can come into the presence of a pure and good and righteous and good God with all of our, with all of our filth and the darkness and the unrighteousness and the ungodly and the nastiness within our hearts? The reality is no one can. So the only way for us to escape being casted out of God's presence, the only solution to be able to come into his presence and enjoy him, enjoy his presence forever, to be with him forever, to be in, his, in, his, in, in, in the presence of a holy and righteous God is to somehow, way, have a pure and perfect life, which we don't have. But the greatest news, guys, that is trending all throughout the Bible and all throughout the book of Romans is actually we can receive this. We can receive the forgiveness of our unrighteousness, and we actually can receive a perfect righteousness that's not of our own. How? By receiving the perfect life and the righteousness of God himself, the God-man Jesus Christ, and we receive this by faith. This is the only way that works. This is the only way that can work. And so the news that's trending all throughout the Bible, the news that actually works is the only way, the only way for us to be saved from the wrath of God, to come out from underneath the wrath of God and to be able to come into his presence is to come by faith with empty hands, with nothing of our own. We have nothing to bring and we receive someone else's perfect life, his perfect righteousness, his work, namely Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news that Paul preached in our verses last week. And this is the same news that he preaches in verse 9. He continues with this same look at it. He says this. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved from the wrath of God. You will escape the wrath of God by believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you confess that Jesus is Lord. He says, for the heart uh, with, with the heart one is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. He goes on to say that there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Guys, this is the most fantastic news. This is the most amazing news for all of the world to hear, that no matter who you are, that no matter what you have done, no matter how unrighteous you are, no matter how ungodly you are, God's promise to all peoples, all peoples, all races, all nations, all tongues, all tribes, all socioeconomic backgrounds to all who are ungodly and unrighteous, the promise is that he makes to every single person that salvation comes to everyone. Everyone who believes and calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because listen very carefully, the object of salvation is not you or anything else. The object of salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ. For God through his son Jesus, has done everything that we need for salvation. He has provided the righteousness that we need and he's provided the forgiveness of our unrighteousness that we need. All we need to do is simply come to Jesus and believe in who he says he is and what he says he will do. And this promise is for everyone. It's for everyone. 
Now, to illustrate how amazing this is, let's not forget who's actually telling us this news. You, you know Paul, right? Like, through Paul, God is telling us, through this murderer, like, Paul was a murderer, right? Like, in his past, for those of you who don't know, the book of Acts tells us that Paul, in his past, he gave the approval of the stoning of a Christian by the name of Stephen. He gave the approval for men to take huge rocks and crush this Christian named Stephen to death. And afterwards, Paul went into homes of men and women who profess that Jesus is the king and they believe that he is the king because God raised him from the dead and he rules and reigns over all things. That's what it essentially means to, to be a Christian. That's your confession that you believe that Jesus is actually God and he is God how? Because God raised him from the dead and he rules and reigns over all things. And Paul comes into the Christians' homes who profess that, takes them and he throws them into prison. Paul was a murderer and just like many people that we read in the news today, he was a terrorist. He terrorized Christians. But as Paul was on his way actually to arrest more Christians, most of us know the story, the risen King and Savior Jesus Christ met him and God gave him spiritual eyes to see, opened his eyes, his spiritual eyes to see that Jesus is truly the King and what's so amazing is about this is that even this murderer and this terrorist was forgiven and saved by simply believing upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and calling upon his name to save him. So listen closely. Why this is such good news for us today is this. God's salvation, the promise of his salvation comes to everyone who simply believes and calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason why this is good news, it's good news for those of us who truly know the reality of our own hearts. It's good news for, the, for us who know the depths of our sin. It's good news for us who know the guilt within. It's good news for us who know the shameful done things that we have done in the past. Listen, if you do not understand the guilt within, if you don't understand your sin, your unrighteousness, your ungodliness, then this will never be good news to you. But if you're aware of your unrighteousness, if you're aware of your rebellion against a perfect and good and righteous and holy and loving God, and you've said to him, I don't want you, I don't need you, and you're aware of your rebellion, then this is the best news that you could ever hear. If you're carrying in, in, in guilt, if you're carrying in shame from your past, then listen to this promise. And no matter what you have done, nothing, nothing will ever prevent God from breaking his promise to save all those who believe upon him and call upon his name. If God kept his promise to save and forgive and rescue a murderer and a terrorist in Paul, he will keep his promise to save each and every one of us. The good news of salvation, the good news of God, is salvation comes to everyone who believes. Salvation is for all peoples, every single person who calls upon his name. Now listen, this is really important as well. God saves those who believe that Jesus is the king and that he's the king because God raised him from the dead and he rules and reigns over all things and he's our only hope of salvation. But there has to be this, this calling upon his name. For there are many people in the world today who believe truths about Jesus, but they have never called upon his name to save them. I mean, even think about the demons and Satan. 
They believe truths about Jesus, don't they? But they've never called upon his name. There must be this belief in our heart that Jesus is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do, that he is the king and the savior, but that belief must lead to this confession and calling upon his name. It must, it must lead us to transfer all of our hopes and all of our control out of our hands and into the hands of Jesus. And this is done within our hearts, but it flows into this confession and belief that Jesus is who he says he is and a calling upon his name. I've shared this story before, but the, there was a moment going into my suit, my, my, the summer going into my junior year in college that my eyes were first open to the reality of my sin. For the first time in my life, I understood and there became over me this deep conviction of my sin, of my unrighteousness, and I knew that it was perfectly right for God to pour his wrath out upon my sin and to judge me for my sin and to be separated from him because of my sin. And I came to this understanding, this reality, that I needed someone who could take away my sin and give me this righteousness that I did not have. And for the first time in my life, I saw that Jesus was that somebody, that he was the Savior, and that he was the King because God raised him from the dead. He's the King of all things, including my life. I believed. I believed. I believed that he was my only hope in this life and in, in, and in death, and he was my only hope to restore my relationship with God. And this belief led to this crying out. This belief led to this confession. This, this belief led me to call upon his name. And so with the little understanding and belief that I had, I dropped to my knees and I cried out to God. I said, God, have mercy upon me for I am a sinner. Save me. You're my only hope of salvation. You're the only one who can take away my sin. You're the only one who can give me the righteousness that I have. I turn from looking to my own self as my own Savior, and I put all of my hope, all of my, tr my, my trust in you, into your hands. I'm banking on you, Jesus, to rescue me and to save me. And God kept his promise to me then, and this is still my confession today, and he will continue to keep his promise to me, for the rest of my days until I go to be with him or until he returns. And this promise isn't just for me, it's for you. It's for all who believe and call upon his name. Guys, what amazing promise is this, amen? amen. And how amazing is God that he actually would give us such a great salvation? I mean, do we see the depths of his love this morning? He didn't have to provide this way for us. It's not like we're deserving of this way. We're not deserving of this salvation. But how great and glorious God is to provide a way back into his presence to enjoy him now and forever. This is all of his doing. And so the focus should not be on us this morning. The focus then should go back on him to show how great and glorious our God is for actually providing this way of salvation for us. He should get the glory this morning. And our hearts should be full of worship that he actually provided this way. A way back into the safety of his love in Christ Jesus. A back, back into a way that we can actually enjoy him now and forever. For that's the goal of salvation if we didn't know. The goal of salvation is actually we get God. We get life with him. 
And so, guys, how wonderful is this news of salvation in Christ, that salvation comes to everyone who believes that Jesus is who he says he is, and you transfer all of your trust and hope into his, into his hands, and you call upon his name. Listen, is this your confession this morning? Do you believe this to be true? Is your confession this morning that Christ Jesus is the king who reigns over all things, and he is your only hope in life and death? Have you called upon his name? Is that true for you? If it is, then hear his voice this morning. Not, not my voice, his voice. We're looking at his word. Hear his amazing promise to you. Hear him say, I will always keep my promise to save you. And in the end, when all is said and done, and when your life on, on earth is over, and when you come and you stand before me, not me, this is the Father talking, when you stand before me, you will not be put to shame. You will not be put to shame for calling upon my name and placing all of your hope upon my son to save you. For the promise of salvation in Christ alone is the only true reality for us in this life. It's the only thing that's solid. It's the only thing that we can stand on. It's the only thing for us to truly put our hope in. And even, listen, even if you feel like your confession this morning is, Lord, I believe Oh, but will you help me with my unbelief? The promise is still yours. Why? Because listen very carefully. The promise of God to save you isn't based on the strength of your faith this morning. It's based on the object of your faith. The focus in this text is not the strength of our, our, of our faith, but listen very carefully, but it's on whom our faith is upon. It's, it's on whom we are actually calling upon to save us. That is the, what's most important. And who is that? That is the Lord Jesus Christ and only the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you find yourself more this morning believing, but you feel like your faith is about this small, if your faith is in the right object, and that's Jesus Christ, the promise for God to save you is still yours. It's yours. Because he is the object of salvation. And it's this news it's this news that has to get out to the world. It's this news that must be proclaimed to all of the world that salvation comes to all who believe and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and only the Lord Jesus Christ. This word, this news does not be trending on any news sources and this, this has to get out. Somehow, some way, it has to get out. Look at verse 14. Paul says this, he says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? So the question is, how can people believe the news of salvation in Jesus if they have never heard? They can't. They can't. The news must be heard. A person cannot confess, cannot believe the truths about who Jesus is and confess those truths and call upon his name if they've never heard about who he is and what he has done. Paul goes on to say that faith comes from hearing and hearing from what? The word of Christ. If faith connects us to Jesus and we receive all that he is for us and all that he has done for us and therefore that flows into our salvation, then the only way for faith to come is through hearing of the word of Christ. And so how are people going to hear this news? Someone must tell them. 
That's what he says in verse 14. How are they to hear without someone preaching? So listen, if we checked out, let's check back in right now. This is really important for us to hear. The news of salvation, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, must be communicated. So the word for preaching in this verse, in Greek, is translated and it means to be a herald. Now, a herald is someone who communicates news. And so this is why some newspapers today are called heralds. You have the Miami Herald, for example. So a herald is a way of communicating the news. So for our purposes this morning, think about a herald as a, as a living newspaper who communicates news. And so before there were actually newspapers, a herald would actually go into the streets and they would communicate news. They would go into the, the marketplace, they would go into the city streets, uh, they would go into the town square and they would proclaim and they would communicate good news. They would communicate a gospel. As I was reading a commentary this week, the, there was a battle in the 5th century between the Greek and the Persians. And in this battle that occurred on what's called the Marathon Plain, there was a man who took the news from the battlefield all the way to the people in the city of Athens, and it was 26 miles. So 26 miles from the battlefield to, the, to, to Athens is where we get the, the, uh, the race today called Marathon. Uh, I didn't do research to know why there's .2 uh, miles added to. Uh, he may have ran 26.2. I don't know. That's beside the point. The guy ran 26 miles from the battlefield to the city of Athens to proclaim, to communicate the good news of the Greek victory in this battle. So how are people today to hear the good news that Christ is the victor of the battle? By you and me being heralds. We take the good news and we communicate it to others. That's what we're doing this morning. And that's why the preaching of the word of God, guys, is so significant. Listen, a sermon isn't just entertainment. It's not just a simple positive message that a preacher gives. At least it shouldn't be. As we sit here and we listen to the sermon, what we should be listening to is this. Listen very carefully. We should be listening to the voice of God himself, the creator of all things, the author of our salvation, delivering his message through his word by a herald. So, as Jeremy or myself or anyone else is who, who, who gets up here and we preach, Listen, we don't stand before you. Our goal is not to simply entertain you or to give you a motivational message. Our hope and our desire is to be a messenger of the king. To proclaim his news of salvation. To strengthen you and to build you up into Christ's likeness. That's why preaching is truly a matter of life and death. Because your soul and my soul, the eternity of souls are at stake through the preaching of the word of God. And so listen, I should never take it lightly, nor should you take it lightly when we come into this place and we hear the word of God preached and proclaimed. It's that significant. It's that important. But listen very carefully. Proclaiming this news does not stop when the sermon is over. As we leave this place, if you have 
believe the truth about who Jesus is, that's your confession of that Jesus is the King and Savior of your life. He's your only hope in life and death. And you've called upon his name, then listen, you are the King's messengers. You. And heralds primarily communicate in the streets. It's in the everyday stuff of life. Listen, for those of you who may be new, maybe you uh, have never heard of our vision or our mission as a church, let me just kind of lay that out for you. Our mission as a church is to see gospel saturation in this city by declaring and demonstrating the gospel in the everyday stuff of life. So our mission is to saturate the city with the good news, with the glory of who God is and what he has done and what he is doing and what he is going to do through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so listen, all of life simply means being heralds of the good news, declaring the good news, demonstrating the good news in the everyday stuff of life. It's as you go, you go as heralds. So a few weeks ago, I was in the gym and I was leaving the gym and I saw uh, one of my good friends, uh, I've, I've been having uh, conversations with, with this friend for some time about who God is and what he has done uh, through Jesus and, and, and the importance and the significance of my, of my friend putting his faith and trust in Christ alone for his salvation. He's not that, there yet. He hasn't come to this place where he is, he is trusting Christ as his only hope of salvation. But as I was leaving that place... I knew that my friend uh, had just recently, him and his wife just recently had a child who has some major uh, complications. And so uh, I said to my friend, I said, hey man, how's it going? And he began to share. And as he began to share, he began to just, just break down. Uh, he's, he's, very, uh, he's very afraid. He's lonely. He's scared because he has no clue of what's going to happen to his son. And so um, as, he was, as he was talking, I, I just listened. And uh, once he was finished, he asked me, he said, hey, do you have anything to say? And, I, and honestly, I, I really did not know what to say. I had no, no idea what to say. But I said, listen, man, I, I, I'm really, really sorry to hear about your son. I have no idea what you're going through. Uh, but I, 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 have this, uh, I have this news, this good news that may not be good for news for you right now, but I hope it is. And I said, listen, I don't know what you're going through, but um, I know someone who does. And I said, God knows your pain. And I said, listen, he also knows uh, what it's like to see the suffering of a son that he loves. And I, and I said to him, I said, listen, uh, God sent his son to suffer on our behalf to fix things that are broken. To fix the brokenness that's side of us and to make things right again. And God loves to fix things that are broken, both spiritually and physically, and he suffered on our behalf to fix and restore our relationship with him. Then I said, I said, this shows his love for us, but also shows that he cares about us and he knows us and he knows what it's like to go through suffering. And he hears us, I said. I said, he hears us and he wants us to come to him and trust that he's powerful enough to restore your relationship with him and to heal your son. And he said, well, let's go to him then. Let's pray to him. And so we did. Now listen, some may think and say that it was very insensitive of me to share that news with him uh, during that time of trouble for his life. But listen, my friend didn't think so. 
In fact, he was very grateful to hear about a God who knows our suffering, who is near the brokenhearted, who comforts those who mourn, and who saves everyone who calls upon his name. And that happened, guys, in the everyday stuff of life. I mean, how else was my friend going to hear the good news of who God is and what he has done through his son, Jesus Christ? And how will anyone else in your life ever hear about a God who comforts those who mourn, who is near the brokenhearted and saves everyone who calls upon uh, his name? They won't. Unless someone tells them, someone has to do the communicating. Someone must do the heralding and that somebody is you and that somebody is me. It's us. And so God sends us out. He sends us out as his church, as you and me, as followers of him, to preach and to proclaim and herald and declare and demonstrate the good news of his salvation in Jesus Christ. We are sent out. We are sent out as missionaries. That's our identity now. Look at verse 15. He says, how are they to preach unless they are sent? And as is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. There is a difference, guys. Listen very carefully. There is a difference between what the world sees as beautiful and what is truly beautiful. Take feet, for example. It's questionable if feet's ever beautiful. But in Norman, Oklahoma, what's beautiful feet? Soft, pretty, manicured some pretty little paint on it. Guys, maybe it's not not so much for you. But what's beauty, or what the world, what our culture tells us is beautiful in Norman, Oklahoma, is on the exterior, right? It's physical. It's on the outside. But is this true beauty? According to this verse, what God sees as beautiful, which is so much more important than what the culture sees as beautiful, what God sees as beautiful is worn out feet, worn out bodies, and taking the good news of his salvation to all peoples. That's what's beautiful. I read this story this week of a missionary in India. So he grew up in India. His parents went to India when he was a kid. And, and, uh, and so when his mom was 70 years old, still living in India... Uh, he comes to her and says, Mom, you look really worn out. You look pretty physically broken. She gave all of her adult life to reach an unreached people group in India for the sake of the glory of Jesus. And so when she heard that, she went and she took every single mirror outside, out of her home. And so for the last 20 years of her life, she never had a mirror in her home in the mountains of India. And when she died, villages gathered throughout all the mountainous areas to bury a beautiful woman. That's beauty. What's beautiful is a life that saturates the remote villages with the glory of God is the most precious and beautiful life. Or what about a pastor in the Philippines who's planting churches all throughout the mountains, mountainous areas of the Philippines and there were no roads to get to these places. He didn't have a car, but it didn't matter. He couldn't get up to these mountain areas, uh, these places anyways, if he even did have a car. So he walked miles after miles after miles after miles. He walked to these remote areas and his feet were wrinkled and they were tough and they were blistered at times and they were bloodied. Now that's beautiful. That's beautiful. 
Those who give their lives to proclaim the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ are beautiful lives. Those who give their bodies and their mouths and their feet to serve the king whose feet were nailed to a cross to purchase a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, that's beautiful. And guess what, guys? God is calling us to this kind of beauty. For feet are meant to take us places. If you are a Christian here this morning, then God is sending you out on his behalf as his heralds, as his messengers. He's sending you out into the world to live among a people. He's sending us out to dwell among a people just like our King Jesus did. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, what happened to Jesus? Through the power of the Spirit, Jesus was sent out. His feet took him to proclaim good news to the poor in spirit. His feet took him to proclaim liberty to those who are held captive to sin and death. Through the power of the Spirit, he was, his feet took him to those who were spiritually and physically blind, and he healed them. And the good news for us today, even in this culture in 2017, our king still does this today. He continues to do this today. How? Through his church. Through you and me. Guys, can you think of anything greater to give your life to? Is there? Can you think of anything more beautiful, more joyful than giving our lives to the serve our king? Listen, there are people all around us who are hurting and broken. We experienced it yesterday, going to food and shelter. I'm sure you experienced it just in relationships in general. There are people all around us, guys, who are held captive to sin and death, and we have the only news that will set them free. We have the only news that will truly comfort and truly heal and truly save. And God has saved us and he's calling us not to keep this salvation to ourselves, but to live beautiful and joyful lives in the service of our King. If you are a Christian this morning and you are alive, which I'm assuming we are alive, if you are a Christian and you are alive this morning, then he's sending you out to be his messengers, to be his heralds. So just picture this with me. That within our missional communities, that people are being sent and called together by the Holy Spirit to be sent out to reach a specific people group in this city with the gospel. And so our missional communities begin to multiply by sending out these new groups of people to reach new groups of people with the gospel. And these people begin to reorient their lives around a people whose only hope in life and death is to hear this message of salvation in Jesus Christ. And so they begin to throw parties, to build relationships with this group of people who have never heard the gospel. They invite them in their homes. Their kids play on the same sports teams as, the, as, as people within this, this people group kids play on the sports team and they, and they go and, and they serve the schools in which the parents within this people group kids go to and, and they're going on these, uh, these weekend retreats with the ladies uh, within this people group and as they do, as they go, they are declaring and heralding the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Listen, we don't have to imagine this. It's happening. It's happening through many of you guys. It's happening within the church. 
It's happening in our neighborhoods. It's happening in our workplaces. It's happening on our kids' sports teams. It happened yesterday as we went to food and shelter for friends and we prayed over people and we served and we loved them and some of us had the opportunity to share the hope that we have in Jesus. It's happening, guys. And we want to see this continue. Do you want to see this continue? Is this your desire to be a part of this? Because listen, the only way the only way for the city to come to know who Jesus is and worship him as he rightly deserves, it happens when we go out and we take on the life and, and, and walk in the feet and through the spirit of Jesus, taking on the very life of Jesus as we go and we proclaim the message of salvation in Jesus. So let this be our response this morning. May we not say, I'm not sent. May we not say, surely, God, you don't want to use me. I mean, we can come up with a thousand excuses, right, of why we shouldn't go or why we don't need to go. But let this be our response this morning. I hear you, Lord. I hear you through your word this morning. I hear you and I see that you're calling me something that's so much bigger, something so much greater, something so much more joyful and beautiful to give my life to, and that is to spread the greatness of your name and your news to a, to, to a people that God has purchased through Christ. So here I am. Here I am. Send me. Send me to whoever or to wherever. Send me to the campus of OU. Send me across the office. Send me to my neighbor. Send me to my kids' uh, sports team. Send me to my phone. Send me to the, to the Indians and the Saudis and the Chinese who live in the city. Send me to the hurting kids within the DHS system. Send me to food and shelter for friends. And yes, Lord, if you so desire, send me to the unmost, most unreached places in the world. Send me to Tunisia, where 11 million people have never heard the greatness of your name. Send me to the Saramakan peoples in Suriname, where 96% of them have never heard the message of salvation that you and I get the privilege of hearing this morning. Use me. Send me. May my life take on the beauty, not that the world tells me what's beautiful, but may my life take on the beauty of serving you. May my, may my feet be calloused, may my hands be calloused and taking the good news of salvation to Jesus, to all peoples. And listen, if that's your, if that's your desire, and it's actually more than a desire, this is what the Father's calling us to. Then let this be our response. Do you hear his voice this morning? Do you see his glorious vision for your life? Then wherever God has you, that's where he wants to use you. To proclaim the good news of his son. To herald the message of salvation in his son. You are a missionary. That's your identity. That's who you are now. And so may our lives take on the beauty of serving our king. For how are they to hear? Unless we don't go and tell them. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So let's go. Let's go. We have the message of the king. And he's inviting us to go. And he's with us through the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. And even at times we don't have the words to say, the Holy Spirit's there to help us and to give us words to say. 
Good news? You overwhelmed? That's okay. If you feel overwhelmed, that's okay. And why is it okay? Because this is God's mission. And he will save those whom his son has purchased. He is on mission today. And he invites us to join him on the mission. It's his mission. He's sovereign over that mission. And he's going to save a people for himself. And we just get the privilege of walking with him and joining him in proclaiming this message. Let's pray. Father, we are, uh, first of all, we are grateful and thankful for such a great salvation that you have given to us. And so, Father, we ask that we find ourselves this morning uh, having a hard time seeing how such a great salvation it is. We ask as the psalmists do all throughout the psalms, that you will restore the joy of our salvation this morning. That you would help us to see the greatness of who you are. That you would help us to see what a great Savior that you are. That you save to the uttermost. That you save everyone who calls upon your name that you save everyone who believes and confesses that Jesus is the King and that He is the Savior and that He is our only hope in life and death. And so we come before you this, uh, this morning, Father, confessing this. That Jesus, you are our only hope in life and death. We believe. We believe that you are the King. And we believe that you are the king because God raised you from the dead and you rule and you reign over all things. And one day you're going to come back and you're going to restore all things to the way in which they are meant to be and that you're going to rule and reign over all things. And that is for our joy because you're such a great and glorious and good king. And so, Father, we ask that you will help us through the spirit in which you have given to us, the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells within us, that you would help us, that you would send us out in that power, in the name of Jesus, to go and proclaim that Jesus is the King and invite others to submit their lives to a great and glorious King. So, Father, we're grateful and thankful that you have brought your salvation to us this morning that you've given us eyes to see. And so as we take the Lord's Supper this morning, as I mentioned last week, it's, it's a visual for us to, to be reminded of Christ and what he has done, to purchase a people for himself, to purchase our salvation. As I mentioned earlier, for God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, has done everything that we need to be saved. Through His death on the cross, His blood washes away all of our sin. Through His perfect life, covers us, and, and we have this robe of righteousness in Christ. And through His resurrection, He comes and lives and dwells within us, conforming us into His image. And when He returns, or we go to be with Him, we be conformed to His image perfectly. We'll become like Him when we see Him. And so as we sit here this morning, if you 
believe that to be true. If that's your confession this morning, that Christ Jesus is your only hope in life and death and that he is the king of the, of, of the world, that he's the king of your life and that he is your savior, then this is what I want you to do. I want you to take some time and reflect on how great and glorious God is. And when I say glorious, what I mean by that is this. Glory is all that makes up God's character and nature and what he's done. Think about his grace. Think about his mercy. Think about his love. Think about all the things that who he is and makes him to be God. And may that cause your heart to worship him and give thanks to him for who he is for you and what he has done. May he be worshipped greatly in your hearts. And listen, if, if you are here this morning and, and that is not your confession, that maybe you've never confessed your need for Jesus, maybe, maybe you have believed the truth about Jesus, but you've never taken that step to call upon his name to make that confession that Jesus Christ is your holy, only hope of salvation, that I invite you this morning to call upon his name. to come to him and transfer all of your hope, all of your trust out of your hands and place it in the hands of Jesus. And if you do that, then the promise of salvation is yours and you'll never be put to shame. You'll never hear the Father say, you should be shameful for putting your faith and trust in my son. But you will hear him say, you are mine. You're mine. So I invite you to call upon his name this morning. I invite you to turn to him and turn from anything else you're looking for or looking to, to be your hope, to be your salvation and look to Christ. But listen, if you're not ready for that, if you're still wrestling with that, I, I encourage you to talk about that with someone, maybe a friend that brought you here this morning. I'd be willing to talk about it if you're willing to come and talk about it. We want this place to be a place where you can come and hear and wrestle with the truths of Scripture and hear the news. Wrestle with the news. Wrestle with God's news. So if that's not you, I invite you to continue just to stay where you're at and reflect on what you've heard this morning. But when you're ready for those who believe and call upon his name and confess that Jesus is King and Savior, come and celebrate the Lord's Supper.